This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. I'm riding along with two Jewish people on my fender. There's a law in New York State. I sang once for Barbara Streisand, it's a true story, and her eyes crossed the other way. It was just the first thing I do is make them toast myself. From the writer of Nyeh and the director of Nyeh comes Nyeh. You can have an eight-way suck fest up in your room, but you can't walk barefoot to the casino. I want a lemon twitter, I want a raspberry puff, I want a honey curl, and a, a, a no, two chocolate, no, one, one, put it back, put it back. I can loosen up. Don't have to be so black all the time. I hate when my foot falls asleep during the day because that means it's going to be up all night. My neck is actually six inches long completely flaccid. It don't matter about how much you sniff, put it away, sniff the interest. We're going to have to buy more stuff! I'm very excited about our next guest. I've been excited for all our guests, you know, I would think. But I've known this guy... Um, you know, 30-something years, and uh, he was a young comic who was just brilliant from the, the first words he said, and just keeps getting better and better. Not only is he a great comic and respected by other comics, but he's a great guy, and you'll see that and hear that, actually. You'll see it if you take a photo and listen to what we say, but you'll hear it on a podcast with my friend, David Tell. Good morning, everybody, at uh, 3 in the afternoon. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up till late. Then why did you guys want to do it so early? Uh, <laughs> I, no, I wake up around 1, oh, okay. so that's why I thought 3 would Because she said, be like, good. 10. No, well, she told oh, me. Oh, no, that was the only thing that was open oh, the other day. Oh, that's right, okay. And that's why we didn't do it on oh, that day. Because, um, yeah, no, I never. I can't go to sleep hardly ever anyway. I agree with that. Okay. Well, we got that out. Um, Are today, we on the air or no? Yeah, we're on the is air. Is there an intro or? Um, there will be. Oh, is it? Is it more of a game show like Guess My Voice? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. I'm hey, never, Eddie I'm... Brill, thanks for having me on your podcast. <laughs> hey, wait a second. My, I'm I think Tommy... Shelby said it best. Uh, <laughs> right? The levels are the levels. Right. I'm Tommy Jonigan. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's who I am. So, Eddie, how long have you been doing your podcast? Um, uh, just about three minutes, I think. I'm, okay. Four minutes, oh. you know. Um, I started doing it in the summer, and then uh, I just started releasing them about uh, nine, ten weeks ago. And what is the theme of your podcast? Because, you know, every podcast has its own, like, theme or mission statement, as we right. say. Right. Well, you know, I Is it a back-in-the-day help... podcast, or do you do... Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, you get to meet uh, like a celebrity. You know, is it a celebrity-driven podcast? Um, no one drives. It's pretty much <laughs> we take the subway or mm-hmm. a cab if you're running late. No, um, here's you know, you always have to try to be a little different, and but again, it's all kind of the same. But it's I call it the break, and the reason I call it that is because not only want to find out how comedians get their break, but want young comedians to realize that this doesn't happen because you just want to be a comedian and boom, you're on stage. Right. So I, I talked to everyone so far about, not everyone in the world, but mm-hmm. everyone who's sat across from me here about, you know, I know a little bit about you, but there's a lot I don't. Like I know, <clears throat> I knew you grew up in Rockville Center because one of my best friends is from The Rock. Right. But you were born in Queens first, is that right? I was right? born in Queens and uh, my parents uh, moved further out on the island. And, um, you know, I'll just say it right now that you've always been super nice to me, uh, especially in the early days, because I remember uh, you and Judy Gold and uh, 
few other people were always really good to us because there weren't as many comics. So mm-hmm. I guess it was easier to kind of like, uh, you know, eventually all meet. But, um, you know, uh, from the open mics to the actual, I guess you could say, uh, clubs, you know, uh, when we first got to meet you guys. And I'm talking about like me, Kevin Brennan, uh, you know, Mike Royce, guys right. like that who were just like coming out of the open mics. Uh, you guys were always very cool to us. So, you know, I yeah, like and that. I think that happened to us too. You know, I know for me. So who would be the people we're talking about? John Mendoza was great to me and yes. took me on the road. Robert Schimmel took oh, me on the road mm-hmm. for, for years. Robert Schimmel told me this thing, and I don't know if he told you. I think he did. I'm glad you brought up Robert Schimmel because uh, for the for the younger guys, uh, Robert Schimmel's a guy who definitely never got his due, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of like fame and just accolades and all that stuff. But if you're a comic and you were uh, on the scene in the uh, 80s and 90s, then you always knew about Robert, and you always wanted to hear what he was doing, because I think he was probably, to this day, he's probably one of the best joke writers ever. I've ever I've ever, ever seen, you know. And performers, you Ooh. know, he was incredible, and I learned so much, worked with him, and I was high energy, a little cleaner, um, and he was, I wouldn't say, you know, the weird word clean, or, you know, um, he talked about sexuality, he talked, you know, yeah, a lot of great. vulnerability, but... I said to him, should I slow it down before you? Should I take the energy level down? He said, no. The reason I have you opening for me because you have high energy and you bring the crowd up and you make me work harder. So he always wanted a challenge. Mm-hmm. Every night he would say to me, um, I would, well, not every night, but there were nights, every other night. There was, <laughs> there was, well, there was, can we take it back a step? Yeah. He always wanted a challenge. Well, luckily God stepped in there. Yeah. I've never <laughs> sure. seen a guy who had more challenges in his life than Boom, him, I, uh, you know. Yeah, From cancer to, like, just everything, this guy really, uh, that's what I, I looked at him not only as a comic, but also as a man. Right. And, like, as a man, like, he really, like, stepped up and, like, kind of, you know, uh, you know, dealt with, uh, you know, the blows of uh, fate, I guess you could say. Yeah, you many know. divorces. Divorce, the same, cancer, the all of his stuff. son, his own yes. cancer. You know, Derek had passed away. I was, you know, and I grew up with them, sort of. He took me in. I was living in L.A. I was living at the comedy store. I was in the back room. Mitzi put me up at some Errol Flynn house behind the comedy store, and I lived there for a while. And Schimmel said, look, my fa-, he said, look. And I go, hey, wait a second. No, he said, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, the my family wants to move to Arizona, mm-hmm. and I'm going to keep my apartment in L.A., and I want you to be the person to watch the place and live there with us, you know. So, I mean, he carried me. And the thing I was going to say before, <clears throat> a couple of things, was that he, you know, would always take a joke and then rewrite it and do it differently. A great joke that already worked, he would do it differently every night. I said, why'd you do it? Because I would get bored if I don't oh. try something different with oh. the same joke. And I remember that about you a lot. I mean, there's one joke that I love where you go to the <sighs> bar and you, you know, see a girl and she has a black eye and... You know, you go, oh, you're seeing somebody, that one. But everyone's, and sometimes. Any was, other inappropriate yeah, jokes you have? That's Any? one of my favorites. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's inappropriate. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, the, I mean, it's inappropriate, the action. But I'm saying that in your style, it's exactly. Well, in today's times, Eddie, I don't know if you've been out there lately. But um, that's, um, there's definitely, uh, you know, uh, a lot of. Uh, I guess political correctness is the term, but um, right. So you wouldn't do that judgmentalness, right? But um, but the point is, a joke for a joke is no longer the uh, uh, I guess you can say the 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 way to go. So you know, every joke has to have a meaning and like social relevance and blah blah blah. And uh, and what do you think? Do you can do you write your jokes now differently? 
Um, you know, to, to be honest, like, I would say that most of the stuff I do is pretty much the same stuff I've been doing for years. But now that I, now that like um, the way things are, I rethink them a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then um, it takes a lot of the fun out of it, I think, just like the fun of like, you know, rolling with it. But um, do you catch you know, yourself the on crowd. stage stopping? All the time. Yeah. All the time. I'm always thinking, you know, like, you, you know how, like, uh, and you'll appreciate this as a New York comic, like, you know, here's something that you used to do. Like, you walk into a club and you go, how's the crowd? And, like, you know, the other comics, we give each other, like, kind of like a intelligence. Like, you know, yeah. oh, there's a bachelor party and whatever. There's some, you know, um, businessmen in the corner. They're drunk. You know, that kind of thing. Now... You go to every, you ask a young comic, like, how's the crowd? They're like, they're fine. And they're not, you know, but they, to them, it's it's just kind of like every crowd kind of is the same and they're going to do whatever they're going to do regardless. Whereas like we were kind of taught, you know, you switch it up, you change it, you direct it, you know, right. you roll with it as a New York comic. And now I feel that like, um, you know, the crowd knows their job. They sit and listen, you know, and you do your act. And then it's that kind of thing. And then it's all fought out on Twitter. Like everybody, yeah. you know, either they loved it or they hated it. But back in the day with actual real heckling and also, mm -hmm. you know, the ability to like, you know, talk to people without like them shutting down in a shame cycle. <laughs> it used to be more of a um, more of an experience, if you ask me. Yeah. You know, now it's really just more of a, you know, almost like an Instagram moment. You know, like, yeah. hey, this is what I did tonight. What did you do? You know. And do you find yourself fighting that? Still, you do you want to fight that, or do you are you finding yourself kowtowing to this? I, I feel world? like I'm a coward, so I guess I I mm -hmm. try and I, you know I'm going for the laughs. I'm a whore. Right. Yeah, going for the laughs. But, but when you wrote the joke about going up to the bar, yeah, but that was like a throwaway. Right. It's like you know the early days of joke writing. You know, anytime you came up with a joke, you were so excited right. that like um, mm -hmm. you know that was the one thing that I think um, from watching you guys in the earlier days, I would realize that like you know you needed an act. You know, you couldn't just wing it. And I didn't have the confidence to wing it. Like, there's some guys who are, like, super cocky, super confident, especially mm -hmm. of today's, com you know, comics where they really have, like, kind of grown up in this kind of, like, you know, uh, I like myself world, you know? Because right. yeah. back in the day, we you know, like, both. when I would see, like, you and Lewis Black and everything, <laughs> like, you guys had, like, stories <laughs> where, like, you know, life wasn't that great. And the fact that we were all comics kind of was, like... Like, I always would call it, like, the island of broken toys. You know, like, everybody, <laughs> yeah. like, I was going to be a lawyer, but this happened. And, We're you know, on divorced. the island of broken yeah. toys. You know what's but, interesting about that island of broken toys? I always thought the elves should be on the island. You know okay. what I mean? They're the ones who fucked up. Well, you know, now the they're not called elves. <laughs> yeah, <right>. That's <laughs> Miniature uh, delights. But what do you think, Eddie? Because I didn't even, first of all, I never knew that you lived in L.A. I didn't know that. How many years did you spend out there um, as a comic? From, from 87 to 90, I lived in both New York and L.A. I split apartments with the Shim, with Schimmel. Mm -hmm. and, well, what happened was I did Star Search in 86, and I went over to the improv and the comedy store, and the comedy store said, you can work here anytime. So I went back home to New York, and every time I go to L.A., it was kind of nice because Sam Kinison, speaking of people who helped me, he, he sent Alan Steven over to me after one of my sets and said, Kinison wants to see you, because Kinison used to run the comedy store, mm -hmm. in a sense. Yes. Mitzi was fantastic and, and treated me well. But Kinison said, I like what you do. You're one of us, right away. Really? And I was like, oh, my God. That would have made my year if yeah, you said that to me. still, to this day, made my year. And he, made, he said to me, you have to move out here. 
He says, I'll get you, I'll make you work. You'll work every night. And really? that's what happened. I worked every night. But I'd go back to New York because I love New York more than any place in the world. But I would spend half the time in New York, half in L.A., go to Boston to make some money. Um, in 89, I started going to Europe, uh, which worked out well, pretty good. I didn't good. know that. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. See, that's why these podcasts, wow. you know, you, you learn. But I want to back it up a little bit a few times here. Two different things. One thing, the reason I brought up that joke about walking up to the bars, because one night you say, oh, I'm because I'm wearing clogs. You'd always <laughs> add a different line, and that's what reminded me of Schimmel. And then the other part about the Schimmel thing is Schimmel said to me, David Tell is one of my favorite comedians. He really said that? I swear to God. Wow. And he said... I'm high-fiving heaven. Yeah, heaven. You know, you missed it. It's over there. (laughs) Um, And Schimmel said to me, you know what I I think would make Dave incredible? And I think it's because the way he lived, he said, if he wore a suit on stage and did that material. Did he tell you that? Um, My dad told me that. Mm. (laughs) My dad said, "Uh, maybe you should wear a suit up there. And I was like... Dad, I'm not Alan King. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but, but Schimmel's old school, and he said, mm-hmm. I, "I, you know, and I, when you, we name our friends who are comedians, it sounds like name dropping." But I went to school with Stephen Wright. And, I didn't know that. And him and I were we did the podcast together, and we went out to dinner um, afterwards, and we were talking about comedians, and your name came up. And oh, I, I don't know Stephen really at all. He's kind of a mystery to me. Right. Well, he's <laughs> he's he's an incredibly hilarious, smart, smart guy. Oh, absolutely, guy. yeah. And uh, we laugh like children when we hang out together. I spoke to him on the phone yesterday. I was crying, laughing. He was in a restaurant, embarrassed. We were laughing so hard. It's we just have this ridiculous relationship for forty years. Him and I. Well, let me ask you a question, if you don't mind me jumping in. But um, So, Stephen Wright, I think, lives in New York? He lives in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Because I was always like, I always heard these stories of, like, sightings, like, Stephen Wright's here. So I'm like, is he going to come in the club? Because I'd love to see him, like, work on some material. Yeah, well, But evidently, he doesn't do that, right? Well, he works with Louis a lot. He's working, you know, on Horace and Pete. Um, is that how you work on new material now? You um, just hang out with Louis? I, that's, I, guess, <laughs> I think so. No, I, I figured, like, he's a guy who's very prolific. And his stuff, I think, is so tight. And yeah. it's, you know, up until, I'd say, I don't know, 10 years ago, uh, Stephen Wright and Mitch Hedberg were really the esoteric guys, you know, like where they would, like, a joke was like its own world, its own yes. universe. And I love that. I love, like, when the joke, like, it breaks down time and space and, like, you know, you're like, where are we? Oh, we're, we're on the moon in this joke now. Yeah. You know, and now now we're all teddy bears. I love that. <laughs> I love that kind of, I love that stuff. Yeah, and you have to be willing to go there as an audience member and yeah. not be but I'm saying as a comic, as, as a, a fan. comic, that's why we love. Oh, yeah. But uh, with Steve Wright, I'm always like, so how does he how does he road test these jokes? You know, I don't. I have to ask him. Yeah, that. please. Since I you will. hang out uh, with him all the time. Yeah. Well, we talk on the phone all the time because he's up in you know I don't want to say the name of the town in Massachusetts. Sure. It's not Boston, and uh, and he comes to New York often, and we hang out. And it's well, uh, next time he comes down, you guys should both go to the Comedy Cellar, or yeah. even how about the Stand Up New York? That would be Am I right, Shelby. Yes. By the he's way, we're talking his to emails. David Tell um, <laughs> from way back in the beginning. Um, so what? So Stephen Wright had said. I told him what you know. Wright said, "I think Attell's incredible comedian," and I told him a story about what Schimmel said. And he goes, "Oh, I never thought of that. That it's interesting because Schimmel would do that. Schimmel's material was dark and funny and silly and smart. Yeah, no, it was it was tough. That's but what he, I liked about it. But he wore a suit, and he, he thought that would. You know the special where he showed the pictures of like his family yes. and everything like that. That was an amazing special. Like, how come that didn't win an Emmy or anything like that? You know, it really just show you like you know, um, you know, like 
Hollywood has his favorites, even amongst even amongst like you know the guy the guy had just got over cancer, okay? right? And like you know showing pictures of uh, his family and everything like that. You figure like that's like you know award winning, yeah, like award winning Academy Awards. You get Tom Hanks to play be in Philadelphia. It's going to win the Academy Award. But if you <laughs> sprinkle a couple of dick and pussy jokes in the middle, all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. nobody wants a bite. I don't want to touch the award unless it's shaped like a dick or pussy. Um, so Eddie, what's the next? Cha- oh, we're okay, not at the well, end yet. Yeah, okay. We here's couple of other things. First of all, one of the earliest memories I have of you sure. um, is in the little baby toddler crib. Mm-hmm. No, there was a time we were both at uh, Comedy Cellar, mm-hmm. and you had gone on right before me, and you had a decent set, and uh, mm-hmm. I was just about to go on next, the MC's up there, and you came up to me, and you said, I just want to say I'm really sorry. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about you know my jokes, and you said, no, I, I'm really sorry because I, I bombed so badly, and I'm making it hard for you to follow me. And I go, are you kidding me? I'm was so you know you were very apologetic to me, yeah, and I didn't understand that. Do you think that's the part of your personality, your character, you, who you are? Um, I don't know. For a guy who smokes weed, you really have an amazing memory. <laughs> <laughs> I do have an amazing memory. And uh, I forget to smoke weed these days. Oh, you know, good for very, you, uh, Eddie. Yeah. Wait till it's legal and then quit. That's okay. what I would say. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, <laughs> no, I would say, um, you know, I, I, don't rem- I don't remember that time, but um, I definitely was a sad sack of uh, shit. Can we curse on this? Yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of a sad sack, but now I'm kind of old, so it's kind of more fun. But uh, right. definitely as a young boy comic, I was definitely like a sad sack. Of, like, you know, you grow up like, um, you know, I always think that like, you know, I had the perfect upbringing for comedy because it was like, you know, I was loved, right. but there was a lot of verbal, like, you know, abuse, sarcasm and stuff like that. So it was really good, like, to have that kind of, like... Back um, and forth. Yeah, the dynamic, family. you know, and being, uh, you know, a Jew. <laughs> yeah, um, right. That throws... In Long Island. Long Island, you know, Were your parents funny? Um, well, let me ask you. Uh, okay. Uh, I think my parents are great parents and that they... Uh, Loved to laugh, and they were funny, and that, um, you know, the beauty of, like, uh, you know, I guess being an adult, and now looking back, you go, like, man, I really should have appreciated it more, you know, like, instead mm-hmm. of just being, like, a sullen teen, I really should have appreciated those moments, because, you know, they do end, and, uh, you know, the sad of it, I guess, is that, you know, my dad got to see me do some things, like, I did Letterman, mm-hmm. and I remember... You know, I was so excited, and you were also a big part of that. And um, that was like when I felt like I was a real comic. And then, right. and then you know, and my dad also like was excited. And you know, he passed away. He never really got to see me. When did do, he pass away? Uh, about eighteen years ago. Mm-hmm. So he didn't really get to see me do like the Insomniac show or any right. of these other things that I did. But um, you know, he was he was cool with what I did, and uh, they were very supportive. But at the end of the day, I think they really did think that, like, you know, because I had real jobs up until I was about 25, 26 years old. They thought that, like, this is just like a phase. He's Mm going to be going to advertising or something, you know, like he'll become a, you know, I worked in a shoe store when I was growing up. So they were like, maybe he'll, like, get back into retail. You know, they didn't see it as a career. But then when I did Letterman, then they're like, oh, this could be a thing, you know. My father was kind of the same way. He wasn't my biggest fan that not to do comedy. But then when he eventually saw me, which went against his will. He laughed and actually cried because, and I was a, like long, the jazz singer, right? It was exactly like <laughs> more like the jizz singer. It was a different different movie. I've rented that, that movie. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I used to. Anyway, I have bootleg copies. Um, the the thing about that is he. We were at what's that club in Long Island? That's uh, Governors. No, 
Um, the brokerage. The brokerage. So pub. he lived in Oceanside, Long Island. My father, I didn't right know that. next to your little town of Rock, your little town of Rockville, and uh-huh. um, so he came to the show and didn't let me know. And I had a decent set, and I got off stage, and there's my father whimpering in the back of the room. (laughs) (laughs) He was really crying like he was ashamed. Yeah, he was completely ashamed, and he couldn't get out of there quick enough. No, so we sat in between shows in the parking lot, made out. Um, (laughs) We sat in the parking lot. and He stayed for the second show. He he didn't. (laughs) But he was was working his ass off. For him to be out, even for the 8 o'clock show... Was huge for him, and he was almost. He was in tears, going, "I, my friend said you were funny, and I never, I never thought this would be a career for you, and now I understand uh, why." My mom always supportive. What did your dad do? Um, at the time, he was a wholesale electronics, sort of like a Crazy Eddie, but wholesale. Oh, yeah. He, my father used to work with Crazy Eddie for Crazy Eddie's father. That's interesting. In the, in the old days, I was, uh, now you're, you have well, a hold sit- on a second. Oh, okay, is okay. this the time or no? No, I'm not. I'm not running Let's away. Let's enjoy the moment. Okay. So your dad, hold on, hold on, because I have a similar story of my parents coming to see me. Right. But evidently, um, it's all about Eddie. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you asked me what this podcast. I was. remember at Governor's, my parents because they came to see me, and Governor's was like a hot club. Yeah, and you know Still the people. Is. Yeah, it's a cool club. It's a cool place. But back in the eighties um, and nineties, <clears throat> that's where all the Long Island royalty was. Like that's where like you see all these guys. You know, you remember all of those. Yeah, guys, Eddie Murphy you know? and Bob Nelson. Yeah, and- yeah, exactly. John Mulroney. All yeah. these guys were like the big acts, and like there really was like a hot crowd there. It was a tough crowd, but a hot crowd. Mm-hmm. And my parents were in the back, and I think this is when I first started headlining. And um, I just remember there was a bachelor party, and they would not shut up. And I was like, you know, I said, you know, like, you know, something, blah blah blah, cunt. And I look <laughs> over, and there were my parents sitting there, like beaming, because <laughs> they're not really listening. They're just kind of like remembering, and now that you're there. You know, they're having that, like, moment in their head. Like, you know, that kind of, like, you know, he yeah. used to, I told him how to ride a bike. Now he's up there screaming the word, the C word. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it, I've noticed this. I don't know if you have. Like, you do Letterman, and you're on the show, and then you watch it. And the first time you watch it, you don't really get to see it the first time I right. watch it. You have to watch it again. But all these things that are happening, you're looking at all the mistakes and you're looking, you know, and I think it's what your parents were doing. They were just watching you. They were watching the incident instead of actually listening to each joke and maybe possibly i have such low self-esteem i (laughs) i can't really to this day i can barely watch myself like if i i can't i i I, it really like you're just like the whole experience like throws me off and i can't watch myself and like for years i've listened to my tapes like i was just listening one right now like to get the new jokes and listen to my act even that now has become like torture it's like beyond beyond like you know um constructive it's Mm -hmm. almost like uh I just like want to throw the thing against the wall all the time. Do you like, think most comics are like that? No, I think most I, I would say that there's like the guys who um you know can disconnect and like get the job done and then there's mm-hmm. the ones who are like you know it's just like another like cycle of of just like hate, you know, it's just like I think it's more cycle of hate. Self-hate. <laughs> yeah. But you always had few- a good like uh, outlook on it all. I mean, you know. I did, but also, you know, I I it was interesting because in order to get stage time in New York was a little hard at the beginning. There wasn't much stage time. And we had our The Catch a Rising Star, and it was Mendoza's and Richard Belzer's and all them. See, I don't remember the Mendoza. Like, by the time I started doing comedy, Mendoza already had, like, 
done like TV, like he was already out in LA on his TV uh, right. experience. And he was brilliant and kind and all that other kind of stuff. Colin Quinn and I kind of started this comedy club down the street from you at NYU right. called The Paper Moon. Right. And at the time, Adam Sandler would come and work out. Uh, and so we all had a nice community there. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't just, it was mostly Colin and I and our friends, like Susie Essman and people like that who would come to the club and work out. So we all were very supportive of each other mm-hmm. because we didn't really have, we weren't able to go to these other clubs yet. At that time. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. That was before me. But yeah. by the time I started doing comedy, you guys were already in the other clubs. You, when did you Avery, start? What year did you start? I started doing it in 87. Okay. 87, that's when you graduated NYU. NYU, so you yeah. you did it while you were NYU. I did maybe like a, a coffee house. And that's where I, I met Adam Sandler because he was a year year or two younger than me. Right. And he already was doing road stuff. Like he was like a, you know, mm. like a, like a savant comic. You know, he started... Um, and he was doing stuff, and I did a gig with him out in Queens, I remember. Mm-hmm. And But uh, Colin, when I would see you guys, I was like, Colin, of course, was like the ultimate. You know, he was just like on stage, off stage, the funniest, the smartest, the mm-hmm. coolest. And um, yeah, to this day, like he, I always think of him as like, uh, you know, like I guess you could say uh, the rudder on the ship. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like would he, you know, like he's just like an artist, you know. And I, I don't consider myself an artist, but I consider like, there are some comics who take it to the next level who are artists. And, and Colin is. And also, not only was is Colin good, but he would sit me down and, and, you know, well, tell me the truth, which is, I, you know, whatever it was about life or about comedy or about what, you know, he wasn't someone who just would pat you on the back and go, good job, good job, or nice set, nice set. We'd talk about the comedy afterwards. We'd all hang out for hours and hours. And he was so honest. And I always said, but you go up there and you don't have a plan. He goes, I have a plan. I go, wow, it looks like you have no plan. He goes, I have a bit of a plan, but I like to be able to be freeform and play. Yeah. And with he and- also, uh, watching Colin and Havy do crowd work mm. was really how like I learned how to do it. And also um, their ability to do it to like, you know, it wasn't like Long Island cl- crowd work, like, you know, nice mm-hmm. shirt <laughs> and that and this. But it was like another level, like, you know, they put like a whole new experience on it. And um it was really like when you see them think on their feet like that, that was like a whole different thing. I was like, one day I hope to get to that point of like, you know, being able to like have fun up here. Because I, I can say it, and I think you, you'll you agree with it. You know, in the beginning, like, you know, when you do comedy, it's not fun. It's a lot of work. And yeah. it's also like, yeah. you know, every every time, it's a lot of work to get on stage. Yes. And I, I know like there's young guys listening going like, boo-hoo, you know. <laughs> like, you know, it's, all, it's never going to be easy to get on. But... Getting and then there's the whole thing of like you bombed and now you have to wait 48 hours, uh. 72 hours till you get to go on again. So you got to like live this shame. The stink is on you, yeah. you know. So you're like, oh. and, you, and you go on stage and you you still have that stink and you're trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Here's a question: the you're talking about a Havy and Quinn who are just great ad libbers. Do you think they have to worry about the political correctness when they're ad libbing, when they're playing in the crowd, when they're doing that? I think that they they both are like uh, you know um, uh, you know to be honest I think that they've kind of like you know I consider myself a dirty comic like mm-hmm. I don't think they're dirty I think that they, these guys no. like are smart funny you know there's a lot of stuff they have to say um, you know is I guess you can say reflective of the times mm-hmm. but uh, you know like uh, you know a, a good old fashioned porn joke or something like that I think they're beyond that like I still mm-hmm. do that stuff I don't I'm not particularly proud of doing it but like uh, you know I still talk about porn and all those you know did you do like, that at the beginning your first days in 87 no you know what to be honest like um, uh, you know 
Uh, I assume the first joke I wrote had to do with masturbation. I assume yeah. that'll be the last one. You know, it's like, you know, in, you know, blood in, blood out, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know? I, I understand. But uh, I don't know. Eddie, what do you think? I mean, like, um, if you, uh, I'll say one thing. Like, if, if I started now, I would definitely talk myself out of doing it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I guess, the confidence to do it now because you're immediately on YouTube or like you have to like step up. Yeah. And like, um, back then, like, there was so many, Somebody like just chances to like open mic it, you know, in like in you know in the darkness, just like you know, like you were bad for so long, or at least I was that like you know, uh, I, I'm like I'm like glad that like I don't remember every one of those shows, you know, because yeah. they they really were horrible. You know? I think that also with the bringer. Uh, oh, that's another thing. Yeah, that, that I didn't know that many people in New York that I could bring, or anyone that had money, we were all completely broke. Mm -hmm. You know, we did sketch comedy in college and all my friends were mostly sketch comics. Uh, uh, Stephen Wright was friends with us, but he was the only stand-up I really knew as a friend. And then I met a couple of guys like Barry Crimmins and-, and uh, Yes, yeah, I don't know, the, I, I just really- We were all in Boston roll, at that Yeah, time I've rolled into those guys. I know the Boston guys just from when the when they moved down to here, mm -hmm. and they were way better than us in terms of like, comedic ability because they had such a harder like scene up there at that point there was but there's a lot of stage time and the comics were generous to the other comics and some and they were hard workers like a guy like kenny rogerson who to me is one of the best comics mm -hmm. i've ever seen he was prolific like you and gaffigan in a sense where you're writing all the time guys our fr friends europe uh cohort uh, greg fitzsimmons yes not only was he working every night in boston but he'd hustle and drive down or take a train down from boston to come to stand up new york to do a seven minute guest set because right. that's what it took exactly to get the stage time. and greg is my friend he's not my cohort yeah he used to be your port <laughs> he was your port for a long time no but uh i would say <laughs> i would say the boston guys but you wrote with him. he wrote with you on something yeah. Years ago. That's do you want why. to just get out the credits, or what do you want to do? Um, a, a little bit of both. <laughs> you, what you, I really you bring want a little bit Casey Kasem to well, it. Well, you know, back in '75 when you were a little child, uh, that's the worst Casey Kasem. That was Billy Kasem, his brother. But here's another tip of the hat to the young comics: It's like these kids, like uh, back then, the goal was to like you know you get the act, you get on a couple of TV late night TV shows, and then you get on the road. You know, and then then it was a gray area. Like you know, I guess there was the ones who like I want a sitcom, but the road was really what I I wanted to be a national headliner. You know, mm -hmm. I really wanted to be Bill Hicks or one of these guys. And like um, uh, for today's guys, I like they need like a TV show. They need actually like a movie. Uh, uh, I would say they need a movie, a TV show, <laughs> probably some kind of Kickstarter fund to get to be a headliner on I the road. See that it's really difficult. Like I always was like, you know, you just get out there, man, and you work your way. Out. And it's like I was wrong. You need a yeah. podcast. You need Instagram. You need all that stuff. You need Twitter and a TV show, now. and then maybe they'll headline you at a club. All That's right. what I think. Now the part that I didn't. I started with was about your family, who was funny. You have a sister, I know, yes, that I met once or twice, I think, yes. and she's a musician. Yes, um, was she she's funny? The star too? of the family, right? She's the funniest, I think. Her and my mom are the funniest, and then it's me, and then I have a couple of brothers. And um, I never met your brothers. So. Well, let's bring them in. Okay. What I like about the studio here is there's many doors that lead to nowhere. <laughs> but there's one that leads to your bring brothers. Them out. <laughs> there's one that you have to figure the, your brothers or the tiger. No, I would um, say, um, you know, like so we're Long Island Jews. Well, yeah, she's super talented. She's a musician. So. She, was she in a band? She was in several bands. She also teaches music and all that stuff. And that's a harder gig, as we all know, than like being a comic. I mean, like 
you got the band there and then yeah. you got to like, you know, work your way, you know, up and like, you know, do like, you know, like weddings and bar mitzvahs and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I would say that like, she is definitely more talented. She's talented. What I don't consider what I do any kind of like talent. I think it's more of a skill for me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, but like the ones that I've seen that are talented, the guys who like, have you ever seen that? You've been around, you know what's going on. You ever see a guy get on stage immediately, like for a second time, and like they just figured it out? Like Chappelle. Yeah, well, absolutely. I was going to yeah. say that too. He's like one of the only guys I've ever seen. Ever. And I saw him at 15, yeah. where like he was on stage and you're like, wow. Because <laughs> he didn't know better. He oh. just came out and talked. It was like watching, I guess you could say, like a Miles Day. It was like yeah. watching a guy who like he finally was in, like, you know, it, it's like it all felt. Like, even you felt, like, at ease. You're like, yeah. wow, this is great. Whereas for me, I would say the first seven years were, like, just touch and go and out. And, oh, my yeah. God, I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, forever, for a long time. Isn't it funny? I always thought how funny it was Chappelle, Attell, Rogel, Fatel. Fatel, yes. Fatel. It was yeah, an we, interesting New York time with all the, the L's. That's right. It was very difficult on all the flyers we were handing out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, here's the other thing, talking of credits or whatever. You got a special right away with Chappelle. I remember there was something, you and Anthony Clark and Louie. Oh, that was the HBO Young Comedian special. Right. With the, You'd only been, you, I thought you'd been doing comedy for years. I was at seven years, I think. I was at least seven years. Really? I okay. I didn't get that before I got Letterman. Letterman I got when I was like seven or eight years in. So. Okay. So, but yeah. I guess that's right away in the in the. You know, you I never thought comedy would go. I've been doing it thirty years. I never thought I'd be. You know, yeah. I thought I would actually be dead by now. <laughs> There's still time. I know that really is. <laughs> There's still time. We're dropping like flies. I'll <laughs> we, tell you I that. know. But uh, yeah, I remember when the first time you did Letterman. I was when I I hadn't wasn't even working there yet. Oh ah, like, right, Letterman okay. had just moved to CBS, mm -hmm. and uh, you even did it before Hicks did it. You did it like in the first couple of months. That. I did it because I was a writer on SNL at the time. Like mm. that was the that was the deciding point. Ah, it was it was between that and Conan because Conan just started, and that was the whole thing. Is like I wouldn't have I would, I don't think I would be able to have done it unless I had had the writing credit. You know. So you did you do late night with Letterman at NBC? Or? Yeah. Okay. I I, I didn't know. That. I didn't I do the CBS show. Like when did Zoe get on there? Because I was like uh, Zoe was like handling the comics. So more in the early nineties. Okay. Know? So that no mid nineties. Okay. So yeah, I, I think it was like right right before that. But it wasn't Morty or anything like that. Like right. he had already left. I think you know. Yeah. Because yeah, Morty was looking at me, and then I eventually got it through Zoe. But can I say it? Like Letterman, which was I still consider one of my like the biggest credit like that I ever did. Like that was such a like amazing. And the fact that I survived, and then afterwards someone said, "Oh, you know, you you're a late night comic, but you did like a clean show." He really he liked that. I was like yeah. that made me like smile for like two months. And then uh, the best set I ever saw on television, on especially on a late night show, was Mitch Hedberg's first. Yes, that was the best one I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, the crowd, like you could almost like feel the crowd, like cheering. Like it, it was just there's an energy to that set, and you could tell like he's in character. It's not a character; that's who he right. is. But like you could tell, like he even knows this is like this is like I'm on the wave. I'm rolling. This is great. So yeah, was, I like, remember that's I rem the best set I've ever seen on television. I, yeah, I thought so too. I, I remember uh, there's a couple of them. I thought Hannibal Burris's first. Uh, oh yeah, no, Letterman. I mean, but back yeah, back, back, back in, in those day. days. No, there's so many good <laughs> comics now. I mean, like this. Just so many good, you know, like straight up good comics. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, like, 
every comic has now like a niche. Like there's very few universally funny people. Like everybody has their group or their you know audience or their fan base or whatever. You so, know, a couple of guys that I saw uh, early on, I've mentioned at the beginning, Tommy Jonigan, yeah. and uh, and he was a guy who was just funny, and it wasn't about. The, he, the the material so much as it was his style and the material, mm -hmm. which I think it's very old school. Roy Wood Jr. I find him to be oh yeah that kind of comic who's just just funny person. You uh, like to you enjoy watching? Yeah, I enjoy watching the, the I enjoy watching them. But then when they have great material as well, it makes me appreciate that. That's the one thing that I was blessed to be around guys like I had mentioned Kenny Rogerson and uh, Don Gavin and uh, people like that who influenced you know, us comics when we were young because they took the time to write the material. Plus, they also performed it well. That's the one thing that separates us from, can I say it, ventriloquism. Yeah. Right. You rarely see, like, a group of ventriloquists <laughs> in the back watching a ventriloquist do oh, his craft. And true. they're not, like, cheering him on or laughing it up. They're actually jealous you know, of the gig. You're, you're joking, but it's true. I don't know if you're not, not I was joking. just trying to lighten the load I a bit. I know you were. But I was. We had, let, we had ventriloquist week at Letterman a couple of times. And some of the ventriloquists were like, so you got this person on. It was like, there wasn't the, like camaraderie of comedian not at all thing. it it's was cutthroat yeah literally you have to <laughs> cut the throat and put it on top of the doll's head ventriloquism is one of the dark arts we can talk about it i mean <laughs> it's very close to voodoo more than it is to comedy making yeah. something that isn't alive alive mm -hmm. yes or no i think we'll be so. right back i'm i'm and we're back um the, so eddie yes uh i like this uh this new year where you're podcasting and all that kind of stuff do you think you'll ever do live podcasting? I think that's where I would where love we, to do live podcasting. That's the way to do it. Yeah. This is early on, you know, the folks at Stand Up New York said, hey, uh, let's do this. And uh, I said, okay. And we, you're number 10 in the order of the, of this whole thing. And But, of course, I'd love to do it live. I love performing still. You know, I've done a lot of booking over the last 33 years, the Paper Moon and then Letterman and then all these other different things and festivals. And a lot of people, especially young comedians, look at me as that guy, the booker or this. And in actuality for me, the com I'm comic first, I'm a comic second, booker is third in that order. Mm -hmm. um, so the performance, I'd rather perform than book. I just happen to grow up in an era of, uh, well, I've grown up in my life where I was always in charge. You had to be in charge yeah. last minute. And uh, and so you know I don't mind that. Like I said in the in the '80s, I didn't even want to. I quit stand up in 1981. I didn't know that. Was I, it because of the Falkland War? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people you don't didn't know, know this. what side to jump in on. I didn't. <laughs> and nowadays, look in retrospect, I knew the right side. But I just <clears throat> thought, you know, it was a combination of things. It just I sucked, and uh, I was nervous all the time. And oh, you were. Yeah, and then but you I, always wore a bolo tie. Now I thought that was that took some of the mean <laughs> out of it. <laughs> some of the respect out of me walking down the street. I thought you were selling us a, a duplex somewhere outside of Phoenix. <laughs> One of the best sets I ever had, though, on television. I wore a bolo tie for it in England. Really, which is really good. But, Wait, hold on a second. So I didn't yeah. know that you quit comedy for a quit bit. Quit comedy because I just thought, you know, when we graduated college, we had, I thought yeah, yeah, it was really fun. And, yeah, you know, let's time to grow up. Yeah, time to grow up, get a real job. And I and then I just hated working in the real world. And the opportunity to run the Paper Moon came the comedy club in the village mm -hmm. that became the Boston Comedy Club down the road. Oh, that right. Was, that was the club that I was running, and it was really fun because I met Colin Quinn right away. We became really close, and we put to we made. 
uh, a place, comic-friendly place. We built oh, a room cool. in the basement for comedians. We put a glass window so people would walk by and can see the stage from the street. And then we also were very... We gave a lot of comedians opportunities, and it was really, really fun. But then all of a sudden, little things started happening. I'd work at the Bitter End around the corner, and then the Ed McMahon's daughter saw me, and I did a television show. And then little by little, I started, you know, I don't this booking thing. It's fun, but I want to be a stand-up. And then I went to Europe because I just wanted to get out of and challenge myself. Sure. And, and it was even better as a comedian <laughs> so for years and years. And then one night I, was, I had, was at the Paper Moon Comedy Club, and Bob Goldthwaite came by. Because Tony V was his friend, our friend, and I watched Bob Goldthwaite, and I almost quit that night again. Because oh, right. I said, this guy is so smart. Oh, Bob. I, yeah, Goldthwaite. And I go, I'll never, ever, and I'm still not, never be as funny and as smart and together. And I almost quit again, and luckily I didn't because I love doing mm. the stand-up. Yeah, I always wonder what would happen if I, uh, well, I always feel like quitting all the time. Yeah. But I, I, I just know myself now that, like, you know, you know, it's kind of like being in a gang. Like, it's the lifestyle, too, you know? Mm -hmm. Even though, like, I really do enjoy performing. Like, I, I, I do enjoy getting up and, and coming up with a new joke. Like, right. I really like that. It, it, to me, it, there's something great about that. It always will be. It's always magical every time. Like, How you often get... do you write? What? Every day? Do you write every I, day? I basically have been working on a project now for about a year and a half that, mm -hmm. like, really kind of slowed me down in terms of writing new material. And, like... You know, just from, like, performing all the time, like, you know, I'm always thinking of new jokes. And, like, when I go on the road, I listen to my tapes and I want to come up with new material. So I would say that, like, you know, where I used to give 80% to my act, mm -hmm. over the last year and a half, it was, like, 40%. And I could feel it, and I feel that, like, um, you know, even though I came up with new material, I should have a whole new hour by now, but I don't. But then I also feel like, uh, you know, it's almost like one of these, like, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of mental work, you know. It's not physical work. It's no. a lot of mental stress of like you know coming up with that hour and all that kind of stuff and the jokes. And when I did my last hour, I really wanted to like break it up a bit. That's why the road work thing, like it's on Netflix now. Mm -hmm. um, it was cool because it was all in clubs. It wasn't a theater show. It was kind of like what I do all the time. And um, you know, we have cameras everywhere. And like uh, you know, I, I think now you see a lot of versions of that kind of thing. But that's really to me it was like I really wanted to do a special that like I felt you know was more um, immediate. You know, it was like more for the comedy fan than for like the average viewer. And you know, I got great feedback on it. But uh, you know, now that I look back, I was like you know. You know, putting out a special, uh, another special, like, it's almost, like, daunting. Like, oh, uh, yeah. you know, like... Well, isn't that okay? Well, like, isn't that okay? I guess, that, I guess that's the job of it. But for, uh, you know, these hour specials, and there's some great ones, and there's also, like, I, I would say that, like, I'm 50-50 with my um, product in terms of, like, mm -hmm. good to bad. But uh, at the end of the day, like, these hour specials are for the fans. It's not for, like, you know, maybe, like, one out of every 20 will, like... You know, like people looking at it like, oh, this guy's going to be a movie star mm. or that kind of thing. But for the rest of us, it's really just like, you know, like I'd rather that you respect it, you know, as a as a member of the of the you know comedy community. You know, like that's important to me that like yeah. you guys think it's good, you know, and the fans and like the the people who've been like liking my stuff for you know now you know decades. I I want them to like it too, you know. I and do then, understand you. We were talking about Colin Quinn's how much we respect. Oh the yeah, new like, hour for Colin. I was like, I, I could not believe how great that <laughs> was. was. I was like, this is ridiculous. so cool, you know. And the fact that, like, uh, you know, you talk about growth. Like, I, I feel like in terms of my own comedic ability, like, I become better. Like, I know all the tricks. But, like, in terms of, like, 
uh, you know, comedic growth, not not so much. I mean, I'm just better at what I've been doing. Whereas like other guys like Colin and stuff like that, they definitely take it to the next level. They they break the wall and you know, like they go out of their comfort zone, all those different things. Like all the things you're supposed to do, I guess as an artist, they do that. I you Do know. you learn from that or do you just pick it up? What? Do you learn from watching Colin and oh, I, I, the wall I enjoy you, it right. first as a fan. And then I look at it and I, and I, you know, like it's hard to watch another guy's special. And Colin's is the exception. Yeah. But like when you watch somebody else's special, you're always like, hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. why did they cut to the crowd? What are they cutting out? Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing. But uh, some of them, like, you know, where you can let go and really enjoy it, that that's like, you know, there's nothing better than that. Like, uh, you know, like there's some young guys who just shot a couple specials that like mm-hmm. Jay Okerson. Right, for a, hilarious. For a, yeah, great. One of those guys who could Dan Soder, all these guys, yeah. you know, they're starting to do their hours. So it's like, you know, I hear them working on it and like, uh, you know, they're getting excited about it. And like, it's cool to see, like they really put the time in, the work. You know, Sam Morell, uh, Mark Norman, these guys, yeah. they're hardcore joke writers, you know, like, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I check jokes with these guys because I want to see, make sure, like, Mike Vecchione, this guy's, like, an amazing joke writer. I know. So it's cool to see the people that are joke writers because even though I think the crowd will always ex- want to be entertained, like, entertainers, like, that used to be, like, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., he's an entertainer. <laughs> yeah. He can sing, he can dance, he <laughs> can humor a line. They used to call that joke telling. Like, ah, he's a joke teller. line. So it's like, yeah, those guys are, like, you know, the exception. But, like, for the rest of us who just do this, like, you know, the comedy thing, it's great to see, like, the new material, you know, the guys who were like out there hunting for the new jokes, you know. Yeah, like New Hearts and, you know, who the, for me, when I was growing up, I used to love Jackie Vernon, uh, you know, these old time comics that, because my See, parents, Jackie Vernon, I don't, I don't really know that much. Bob Newhart, I do. Yeah, the thing about Jackie Vernon, and he was very much in that Steve Wright, uh, Stephen Wright, uh, Mitch Hedberg, s- slow material, you know, slow delivery. Right. And, uh, and uh, it, it was really fun to watch. So, you know, there was a lot of that, you know, fast talking, corporate Monica, these kind of guys like that, and I'd seen all that kind of stuff. But when you got the real joke writers and the real, the people who like Jack Benny, who would get more laughs on pauses, right? Because they would really know how to perform the verbal and the nonverbal. And you don't get a lot of that verbal nonverbal nowadays. You get a little bit of it, but uh, it's more like boom, 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 boom. We got to keep their attention. We got to keep their attention. Uh, I beg to differ. I, I think that like I see a lot you have of to beg. <laughs> I, I see a lot of, uh, you know, you bring up Bob Newhart and like, I, I remember I was out in LA and like, uh, you know, the alt scene out there yeah. where there was like all these like, you know, um, kind of nervous uh, comics, like where they would be like, you know, like kind of eye, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, head down, eye, you know, like whatever, like afraid of the crowd, yet they want it, you know, yeah. they want to be there. And they were all doing like, I was like, it's like, the Bob Newhart 2.0, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, like, you know, like uh, Wi Fi, you know, it's like one of those things, you know. But, um, uh, I don't so, know. So, you don't, you, I think the New York style was different than the LA style, but I guess yeah. since you were on both coasts. Yeah, I found it diff- completely different. I found a lot of actors performing, I left a lot of thievery in LA. Not, oh, really? At New York, we were really on each other's case. Mm-hmm. And in New York, we would, respect each other by respecting the light and i'm not saying you know if the light comes on you got five minutes you would wrap it up right the one thing in la in the late 80s when i was living there in the early 90s when i was working there a lot um the light would come on and that was just like you know it didn't matter uh, they would just keep going and i found that recently there were three comics who some people say are amazing and, and they're very popular mm-hmm. who i don't think are great comedians at all 
Okay. And uh, but because they're popular, they <coughs> think they're great. So the light would come on, and they're supposed to do ten minutes or twelve minutes. They go on for forty-five. Really. And that means that some comic who had a ten o'clock spot is now going on a ten forty-five. Then the next comedian does thirty-five minutes. Right. And then is it in now, New York or in L.A.? In L.A. Oh, okay. The light would come on. They disrespect the. Th and now, if you're a you know Dave Chappelle and you come in and you're going to do an hour, that's mm -hmm. okay. I mean, right. last night I I read I wasn't there, but I read that you know Chappelle and Chris Rock were there working on their sets, and Amy Schumer was yeah, there. Yeah, it was. And it was Aziz a huge sorry. Yeah, it was it you was, and Seinfeld. I made it. I can't believe it. that yeah. was just to balance out the article. Yeah. Well, Ryan. Well, yeah, it was just, Ryan, poor they Ryan just Hamilton, who's one of my favorite comedians. Yes, and Ryan's another great joke. Yeah, writer. Yeah, great joke writer. They go some kid from Idaho. It's like no, that's Ryan Hamilton. No, there's some guys that are just classically great, like Nick. Griffin, do you know this guy? Oh, yeah. He's a he, great comic. Uh, let me just say something about Nick. In all the years I booked Letterman, I would always get recommendations from people like you or Louie or people, you know, all my friends and comics that I respected. Or I'd do showcases in all these cities and see him. Nick was the first comic and only one of two that I found in a box of VHS. No tapes. way, really? So uh, Nick and Karen Rontowski. Okay. Two comics that I that out of and I've watched every when I took over the job, they said, "Okay, here's some VHS." And it was like a thousand of them. Wow! But I, went, I had to go through every one of them. And Nick Griffin was the first person I saw who um, I was able to find out of a box of VHS. And he he killed that show. He was he's great, great, great and, every time. And he's done it ten times. He's been oh incredible. more than that, didn't he? I think he's done it ten. Okay, maybe more. I don't who know. Who has the record? Is it uh, Jake, Jake Johansson? Johansson? Yeah. How many is that? Fifty something or wow? I don't know. That's great. He should take all of those appearances and put them together and put out an hour special like that. Yeah, that'd be really interesting with I'll just hellos you, and good nights. I'll tell you a little bit of a sad story, but interesting. You know, I love. Is it written down or no? Are you tell I'm, it to I'm me? just pushing the paper down <laughs> as a nervous. Uh, I've hardly gone to the paper. The um, Mitch Hedberg, who was amazing, and mm -hmm. I, I didn't find him. Zoe found him for the show, but he did the show many, many times. He did it ten times. Right. And I got. I was very close to him. I worked with him on the road, and I also knew uh, his mom, Mary. I knew the family pretty well. And then after Mitch had passed away, she had asked me to, and she passed away not long ago. That's right. Um, she asked me if I would put together all ten sets on and together so they could show it at a they do like a fundraiser raise money mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff and honoring him and, I, and you could see mitch get sicker in each all oh, right in terms show. of uh, drug abuse yeah. yes and that was very sad i mean they were all hilarious but you could see him get more and more nervous and and skin was bad and it just broke my heart because i never you never see him like that together mm -hmm. you know and yeah I, that's interesting eddie that's really uh it is sad yeah and it's also um you know, I I know how important that was to him, like mm -hmm. doing Letterman. Like he also, you know, for a guy who was kind of in his own space and his own time and his own world, like he he respected it, and he you know wanted it to crush it, and he did. He did. And it, you know, I remember the uh, towards the end there, there was like it was more about you know like um, you know like when he was definitely abusing and using that um, you know that was more of the story than the actual jokes and that's when i was like that's so sad because because before that people were just like you know strangers would be quoting his jokes up mm. to me and i was like that's right yeah i know that guy yeah he's yeah. great and uh Geraldo is another guy who uh you know right. who also i consider probably one of the be best Best's joke writers ever. i've ever seen and um you know i i i, I sometimes i feel like i'm kind of like the uh the uh you know 
the old, the old, uh, you know, the wizard talking about like <laughs> magical times. But really, like it was for me, it was very, imp very uh, important, fun, um, and like just uh, I guess educational to see these guys like you know develop and become you know unique and strong in what they were doing. But you know, uh, the party took over, and uh, you know, um, hey, you know, like. I think at the time we all thought that was part of the lifestyle. I guess yeah. now we see that, like you know, it's a sad, it's a sad, uh, you know, end or a sad cut off of what could well, have been. So that's what happened. You know, to me I mean, LA. I grew up. I grew up. You know, I had to step up. You know, for my family when my dad passed and everything right. like that. And uh, you know, I, I just see now that like there's more to it than than that. And uh, but I have to say now these green tea drinking, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's gym little... going comics are not as much fun no. as the. Uh, as the uh, what's called self-destructive people, right? They're, because there, there's more anger and there's more yes. angst. That like, know. look at Boston. Like that used to be the place where, like, like if, like in Boston, if you met one person who knew how to um, kayak, <laughs> <laughs> no, you would, you would be like, I'm buying this guy a drink. I mean, what a weirdo, right? <laughs> yeah. Now it's like the other way around, where everybody has some kind of weird everyone has a kayak. Skill. There's <laughs> a kayak Sunday. Yeah. Where they do comedy in the show. Then now, but in those days, they used the paddle for the the coke. In, <laughs> That's uh, right. In the in nineteen, it's a powdery, you know, powdery time. <laughs> yeah, it was up in the snow mountains of Vermont. <laughs> but I was, you know, Kinnison had. There was always drugs everywhere, and celebrities. You know, which with Sam. Know, That's Sam. the one guy I never got to see live. The best. And I, oh, I consider him now of that whole group. He's the one that like uh, I should have pulled towards uh, sooner because he really is like everything you want. Smart, energy, funny, emotional, all that kind of stuff. And like before he became super famous, he was definitely like, it's almost, it, it looks like a SWAT team clearing a room the way he would go in there and like <laughs> yeah. check the corners. And then he, boom, <laughs> that guy in the crowd, like, you know, his crowd work was great because it was really just like, you know, you, I don't need to know what you do. I'm going to tell you what you are, you know, that kind of, I love that. We would, the, when he would go on, it would always be the, la the last comic on the, the main room at the comedy store. Every comic would wait to the end of the night. No one would go home because they wanted to see Kinnison set. And the whole back wall of the main room, it was always crowded, was uh, the comics just lined up. What about up. the strippers and... Uh, yeah, they were, they were up in the belly room waiting uh, for wait. the big party that was going to be afterwards in the, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, but there was a comedian uh, named Jesse Aragon who was one of our friends there. And we were all doing a lot of cocaine and pod and booze and the parties every night. And uh, I was playing in the, a band with Kinnison and singing with them. And it was really, really fun. And I was meeting... You know, not and not everyone partied, but I met like Harry Dean Stanton, who was one of my oh, favorite me. actors of all time, and would hang out with him. It was just so bizarre for me. But I'd get really messed up, and then I never for a show, I never got high or partied before I was on stage. But afterwards, we would. And then I, this guy Jesse was so messed up that he was killed in a, uh, on his motorcycle, oh. and that changed my life as far as you know that L.A. thing. I was like, I got to get out of here. Oh, I got to move back to New York because I can't be. I'm loving it, but I got to get away from these drugs because they're oh, okay. eventually, and that's why I moved back to New York. And, and let me ask you, so like, so Kennison was out there, right? Mm -hmm. And who else would be on a typical show? Like, was it Dom? Because I love Dom. Dom Herrera always. Yes. Um, Roseanne, Louis Anderson. So I never saw Roseanne live until she was already oh, famous. She's so great. Louis Anderson, no. Yeah. How yeah. about, um, I'm trying to think of somebody. Richard Pryor would stop in. No Eddie way, Murphy. really? Yeah. 
I got to one time. I got. And how about like Richard Lewis? Those guys. I never saw him uh, at the Comedy Store during those days, mm-hmm. but he was there a lot. But more when Letterman and George Miller and George Wallace and all them were there. And what about Gary Shannon? Like, did you get did you get to meet him like in the earlier time? I met him, but we never were close enough. Like, sure. uh, there's a lot of people who re- love him and great guys, but we we've met. Uh, you know, He's an icon, times. man. He really did yeah. change change the game. For television and yes. also, uh, like this, you could see his influence on a ton of comics. And I he mean, hosted that special, that young that's right. special. That's right. He sure did. And what was he like to you in those days? Um, to be honest, like, uh, I don't, I, I, I remember him saying one thing, which is like, uh, but he said it on camera. It wasn't like he said it to me, but he goes, like, uh, he was nice, you know, mm-hmm. but he was like, Young comedians, uh, they don't look that young to me. <laughs> you know, that was about it. No. But I know Louis, who was uh, way younger than me. Right. You know, he was always like the uh, like a genius. Uh, you know, like a little kid comic, and yeah. like he, I have a peach. <laughs> he he. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I'm super like I guess proud and excited for the fact that like he. He, you know, the world caught up to him, I yeah. guess you could say. You know, like, we all knew he was funny. Yeah. And uh, he's and an generous. exceptional guy. And he's still, you know, I got the job at Letterman because of Louis. I didn't know that. I, he, You know, I worked at uh, the Dana Carvey show for a while, and Louis was writing there. And when then he worked for Letterman as a writer. And That's he cool. recommended me for the show. And, uh, you know, and I fought for him to get on the show uh, years later when he wasn't there. And But he did so many wonderful things for me along the way. Put me in films, put you in films. I know. Right, yeah. You know, he did a lot of good things for me. No, his- he's always been uh, top-notch. And uh, John Stewart's another guy who always, right. like, you know, a way better comic than me, like, especially in the beginning. Like, uh, you know, like, he just figured it out way earlier than I think a lot of us did. And, uh, you know, just like a super good guy on and off the stage. All right, know? now a lot of comedians say that about you, say that you're... This kind of kind of, people, you know, throw worries around like the best writer I've ever worked with, seen, genius. Do you know that about yourself? Is there a part of you that knows that you're respected by these incredible peers? I thought um, my bio line says I'm a comics comic. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> whenever you do like morning radio, they go, he's a comics comic. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, do you think some guy who's about to go like hook up a, a you know, like a weed whacker cares <laughs> about a comics comic? He's a weed whacker's <laughs> weed whacker. <laughs> no, I, I, I know that like, uh, you know, like, like I said earlier, like, you know, we're, we used to be a small band. Of, right. You know, and like... Uh, to to be uh, you know I guess uh, it's a hard question to ask. I don't I, know I, I don't particularly like up. I don't like thinking it that way. I do like to uh, think of that. I'm you know um, I'm a real comic. You know I go right. on I bomb. You know right. and uh, I know the other comics enjoyed my bombing because once I kind of grew up and became a uh, you know like a, a like a bitter old man instead of a young <laughs> young bitter sullen boy. <laughs> like the bombs got better because like I realized that like you know. It's a flame out. I'm going to die, you know, but I'm going to take them with me. And it's like, you know, I, I think the other comics really <laughs> enjoy, like, watching that. Because it's mean, so they, rare. Like, you, Colin, and Andy Kindler, to me, right. are the guys <laughs> That's who, a when, good, yeah. when you bomb, it's funnier. It's yeah. like when Carson didn't get a joke right, he wouldn't be funnier than when he just did his, you know, the jokes that are written for him. But the beauty of the bomb was that, um, you know, like, as you slowly, when you realize that, like, oh, I'm bombing now. So now, like, you have to make that decision in your head of like should i continue trying or should i you know like go for the you right. know like 
go go for the Viking funeral, you know? That's what I, and like once once I, like I guess felt like, uh, like at the Comedy Cellar like years ago, now it's like this, you know, thanks to all these big comics that go there, it's like this like icon of comedy, you know? It's like the, you know, like tourists coming from all over the world, places right. where comedy is illegal to see comedy. So like, you know, it's like a, like a whatever, you know? Speaking of a Viking funeral. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, like, it's not as much fun there now as it was years ago when it was half full and it was all of us just like kind of doing our shows. Like Nick DiPaolo, who is one of the best the comics best I've ever seen in my ever. life. Uh, that guy, like, you know, just like where we could actually be, you know, like have some brutally great sets there. <laughs> and Manny, God bless him. Yeah. He was all about it. He was always on our side. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Yeah. And like, you know, that that's kind of what's missing now is that like, you know, you know, like that whole like, um, you know, like. Just everybody's like, you know, but what you, was that? Yeah, you know? but that, that'll never happen. That can't it's happen done. again. It's over. You know, like last night's show that happened to be, you know, we're in the middle of January now with all these iconic, in a sense, comics, but working out material at the same time. Right. You but know, Chris also- Rock has two special, three specials, and Chappelle, no, Chappelle has three, and um, Amy Schumer has one coming up, and uh, Rock has two. What's the thing you've been working on for a year and a half? I almost forgot to ask you. You said in the last year and a half you kind of are fifty percent comedy. And uh, I'm just working on, on my own like uh, ideas, like you know, projects, kind of stuff. Like uh, you can't talk about them. Or no, not, not really. I mean, it's just like uh, I mean, not really that I can't talk. It's mm-hmm. just that it's not out there yet. It's, right. it's more about like I, you know, I wanted to uh, like do my own web thing. Like everybody does these podcasts and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do like whatever version I would do of that. So I've just been working on it. And, uh, you know, I think pretty soon I'll have something to, like, I guess you could say, you know, something that the audience can watch, you right. know, something like that. But I would say, Eddie, doing this is great because like you really have always been super cool to not only me, but like a bunch, like almost a whole generation of comics. And, uh, you know, dude, I, I, I always love to hang with you. So, yeah. you know, I've done, uh, you know, when we talk about like guys that like I cannot stop watching, who are just that great, like a, <coughs> to name some guys who are like not only buddies but like you know talk about being funny on stage and off stage, which right. I think is really important. Oh, like yeah. guys who are like just like the complete package would be Artie Lang. Like, oh. like he's great, and yeah. like um, you know uh, this is these like Ari Shafir is like he's another guy who's yeah. like a cool hang and uh, just super funny on stage. The point of it is is that like um, you know back in the day. We would go on and then we'd all hang around and all that kind of stuff. And there really was like no other influence because like the majority of us, like after the show, like nobody really wanted to talk to us. Now it's almost like, you know, like a a press conference. People Mm, want, you know, to ask about becoming a comic or, you know, their friend's a comic or like, you know, can we get some pictures? Will you say happy birthday to my buddy? You know, he lives, you know, in Mexico. Can you say (laughs) hello? And uh, But back then it was really just like, you know. It was just us hanging around, you know, get something to eat, get drunk, that Do kind of stuff. Do you think the comics like, uh, you know, uh, Sam Morell and all those, they have that? or Yeah, they, of course they do, yeah. Because Cause that's, that's just how it works. You know, you, you know, the people that you come up with, those are your, those are your buds. And, uh, you know, eventually one of them will make it and the other ones will become bitter. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right, and I'll sit around the television going, I used to work with those guys and... But I never, I never like I, I have like much respect up and down in terms of like the guys who came before me and the people who are coming up now. Like I, I, I respect the craft and I respect the ones who really are trying, you know. And I, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's easier for them now than it was for. I think it's harder. I really do think it's harder to be a comic now. I, w- I probably wouldn't have done it now that I think of it. Like all the stuff that you have to do to be a comic now, I wouldn't. Have, I probably wouldn't have done it. You know. No. I would have gone no to my but second. now that you've done it, yeah. And you're I would have... go to my second love, catering. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, but okay, just a couple of other questions before okay. uh, we head out into the world. Yes, please. Uh, of course, the um, 
what haven't you done that you would like to do? I know you've done films. I know you've had small parts in films, but are there things like theater or like no. a, a, you know? Go through the list and I'll tell you. Yeah. Theater? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> films? Not really. No. Yeah. I'm not an actor. Right. I'm not an actor. You so. do little characters in little films. Yeah, but I, that's not like uh, you know, it's not like my dream. When you were on Saturday Night Live and you did like no, most, okay, no, <laughs> no I, we'll be right back. I, we'll I, back. I uh, wrote on that on that show. That was probably one of the worst years of my life, just in terms of mm. like you know, I was just becoming a good comic and then kind of like a left turn into this into this world of like you know, it was like a great experience, I guess you could say. Yeah. Which usually means a failure. No, I mean I wasn't a good writer, and uh, I probably would have been okay if I stayed. If they had given me another year, you know, I was trying and all that. But uh, to be to be honest, in my head, I really just couldn't turn the comedy stand up thing off mm-hmm. to become like somebody else's writer at that point. Not because I thought it was better than them. It's just like it's I kind of just figured out comedy, and like you know, in my head, it was like Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks. Like I want to be him, and then you I know, remember. like here I am trying to think of uh, weed jokes, you know. <laughs> For, for, for me, I was Caroline's Comedy Hour, Rich that, Jenny. Now, that's a comic that no one gets, Rich, gives enough credit Rich to. Rich Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. He was one of the greatest, and he loved my comedy, which to me was the thrill. I've got chills just now because he was so good to me. Bro, you know. He would it was say, great to me, too. And he said to me, I want you to write with me on the Caroline's Comedy Hour. I go, they already have a staff. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm <laughs> a nerdly whiplash or whatever character I'm doing here. But um, he said, I want you to write with me, and I'm going to pay you. And so we spend a few nights together just writing material and laughing more than writing, yes. which is really great. And then the Caroline Comedy Hour show is on, and he's doing some of the jokes that I had come up with. And I was in the audience. I wanted to run around to the crowd going, I wrote that. Yeah, It was very hard experience. for me to, to let other people get the laughs on my material, although when I would... I didn't write for Letterman, but I would give him lines after commercial in the commercial breaks. And when he'd said it, it was very satisfying because it was Letterman. But I, I, it was hard for me to let other people get laughs on my right. Uh, that, you find that as well. Yeah, no, that's why I'm not a writer. And right. uh, you know, I've told this story on other podcasts where, like, my original manager guy, he said, um, you know, he's a good guy and everything, but he's like. We're gonna get you like out, like try and get you into this Disney writing program. You know, like <laughs> like we know you have at least two Fantasias in you. Yeah, I was like, now just take these like, mushrooms. <laughs> no, and I was like, I was like, I, I don't particularly want to be a writer, but because like the way I looked, and also like I was coming up with a lot of jokes. So like, hey, this guy's a writer. But now it's the other way around. I've said this on many podcasts where it's like the ugly guy now is the lead of the show, and the good looking guys. <laughs> like you go to the writers' room, it's like. Who are these male model? Look at these guys. They all look like Top Gun, like fighter pilot, you know, beefcake. And then it's like this like sad guy up front. He's like the lead of the show. But it would never it was it was the other way around. Like yes. years ago, it was like this like you go in the back, it's all these trolls like churning out the material. And uh, you know, now to be honest, like I kind of wish like I knew how to write like a yeah. script and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I I consider myself like punch up guy. Like Ray Romano, who's another guy, great guy on and with off the him. stage. Yeah, like he he brought me out there for punch up. But my stuff is so you know the stuff that he loves and the stuff that I like to do is not family friendly. Even right. though like Ray's a great comic, he's yes. just a great comic. So uh, you know you got to like kind of produce for the for the job. And uh, you know I you know to be honest. Any opportunity that comes your way, you should go for it, mm-hmm. and you should not limit yourself. And I, and when you look at all the people 
in the comedy world, the ones who've like pushed the envelope, I would say that like nine times out of ten, it always works out. Like either mm. like they, you know, like they're at the another level of of um, you know success, or they've you know they're ready to come back and like you know start like re-energizing their thing. So it's cool. It's I, and then, I never got bored doing comedy. I think that's like a lot of people yeah. go like, hey, it's you know never, every night ever. the same you, thing. I go yes. every night it's different. You know, actually, once you get into it for so long, it's like. You know, the failure is an option. Like yeah. failing at it all the time is is kind of like what happened. You're not. I don't feel like I'm relevant today's crowd. I don't really get what they're. You know, mm-hmm. what 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 they're doing really. And like you know, you talk about like you know the stuff that you think they want to talk about, but then you know they also have that political correctness in their head. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's weird. You know, it's harder. Yeah, it's harder. and there are people like I was sitting with Jake Johansson and Stephen Wright, and we were talking about comedy, as always, and we were talking about our favorite comedian. We all three said Paula Poundstone. Yeah, great joke writer. Yeah, great joke writer and the best ad-libber I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Colin, and I've seen you, and I've seen Andy Kindler, and, uh, you know, all these people. Uh, not getting her, not getting to do that she should, or Schimmel not getting Well, Paula the- Poundstone, like, I don't remember her in New York. No. Ever. She was already a big national headliner. San Francisco. Her and Ellen were both national headliners by the right. time I started. And that that was the whole thing. Like, I never got to see a lot of these people in a club setting. You know? oh, she was. I got to work with her a weekend in San Francisco. Yeah, I figured and it she was, was a San lesson. Francisco act. Yeah, it, I, she was from Massachusetts. She moved out to San Francisco because it was a, a great scene there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Her friends were there. But I the, the week that I learned the most in comedy, I, I could say Kinnison taught me a lot, but was working with Paula Poundstone. You know, she was great. But, okay, last question. But wait, hold on. I have a, I have okay. a similar, like, working on the Caroline's Comedy Hour uh, with uh, Jenny, that's where I really learned how to write a joke because mm. he would take a topic, especially, like, when he would take something that, like, you're, like, you know, um, something Italian. Like, because he was always <laughs> talking about, like, growing up in Brooklyn and being Italian and everything. And he would, like, find all these different angles on it. I was like, that's how you write a chunk of material. Like, that's yeah. how it is. Like, you tell it. You retell it, you tag it, you act it out, then you come back, and you. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Where like, you know, in the beginning with comedy, you you know, like you you have like you know, you know, shoes. You do your shoe joke, and then the next <laughs> thing is like, I think cows are cool. You know, like nothing connects. It's like weird, you know, Aspergery talk. Ma- shoes are made of leather. That yeah, are there cows. you go. See, where were you when I was writing that shoe? You know, cow you, bit? you remember our lists. We would see our every comedian would yes. have their list of the order, and it would be like cows, shoes, right. shark. It was like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. That's good. Then uh, you get then you get further along. It's like fisting, uh, <laughs> shoes. <laughs> if necessary, the shoe bit. The shoe bit always. That's my closer. Fisting doesn't work well. Uh, I, it's an odd question, but is there anything you regret that you wish you had done in this life as in your comedy everything, world? Yeah. Everything. I always like people go, I wouldn't change a thing. I would change fucking everything. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. No, I, I, you know. I love that I became a comic. I think that that was a good fit for me. But, um, you know, at this point, like, um, I don't know, dude. I, I think it's week to week. You know, it really mm-hmm. does. Like, um, it's week to week. But uh, it's always good to, like, Check in with some old, uh, you know, like old friends and see what's going on. It's been too long, Eddie. I'd like to see you in a club. But yeah. um, if that's, if that's, if that's, uh, you know, 
Uh, my more, own fault. You know, I on the road all the time or in Europe a lot because in Ireland is my favorite place. You keep to bringing up comedy. Europe all the time. I love. Have it. you done the uh, uh, festival? The, the, the uh, I've done the Galway Festival, which is amazing. I, I never did Kilkenny because it was the last day was on a Monday and you had to be there. And Letterman always was recording oh, okay. on that day, so I never. What about did the Kilkenny. Edinburgh one? I, I did that because again I was at Letterman for the seventeen years. Mm-hmm. I would go and do like a week or two. Rich Hall would bring me with him. That's and another guy another, I never really got to see live. Oh, I saw him like great. twice. I he's saw still him twice. great. And he has two different shows he puts on. He's so prolific as a writer. Um, it's just the audiences are, it's like dreamy. There's a club in Dublin called Upstairs at the International Bar. And it's smaller maybe the size of this room we're in now. Seats about 50. So mm. it's a little smaller. And they put 100 people in there. And there's no mic. It's just a little stage and you stand up on the stage and just chat with the people. Yeah. And that to me is the, the the and the audiences are amazing and smart and they won't put up with bullshit. They won't put up with pandering because one thing I learned about the difference between America and, and the European clubs, the comedians, there's so much pandering here that you don't realize, not everybody, but hey, how about those old people? They don't get a fair shot or, no, I, you know, I, that I, kind I, of thing. There's so much. That, give yourselves a round of applause for coming out tonight. They, they, the audience is there. They don't they, want to hear any none of, that. of that. So what do they do when they hear that? Do they scream, bollocks? Yeah. <laughs> or Court, Whatever that is. Yeah, with yeah, the... <laughs> they do. Yeah, one, the first line I ever said in England on a guest set auditioning at the comedy store in London, I said, it's great to be here in London. And the guy goes, bullshit. That's the first thing I said. And as a response, and I said, and I just said, you're right. It smells like piss. Yeah, it and does. Blah, blah, blah. And the crowd cheered because I was able to come. And then I had luckily a good set. But I love I, that about Europe. Because it's like you're always there in some kind of summer, like you know, like, like it's always some kind of weird summer thing. They don't have any air conditioning. They rarely uh, believe in deodorant, especially yeah. in groups. Uh. Like there's definitely like I'm going to be with a hundred people. No one will know I stink. <laughs> I can hide my own funk. So why waste money on deodorant? And like you, like you said, it's always like piss and vomit and everything yeah. like that. But you know, they want a political and they wanted a little, uh, you know, eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, and I, all I had was my lowbrow. Um, I really, it's true. It's so good to see you, you know, all these years we've known each other. Yeah, no, I respect Eddie, you like you crazy, again. but I appreciate all of Let's the... Let's get a pick. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Ready? Oh, I gotta go smoke a cigarette now. I don't blame you. Thanks for sticking around. No, thanks, Eddie. And, uh, What's the pro- name of the podcast? It's called The Break with Eddie Brill. It's on Thanks SoundCloud, for having me, Eddie, SoundCloud, on The Break. On The Prick. It's called The Prick with Eddie Brill. <laughs> no, what is it the, called? It's called The Break. The Break. And it's on SoundCloud and iTunes, and uh, this will probably air, it'll probably break next Tuesday, this coming Tuesday night at midnight. Oh, I get it. And the people who hear this years later go, what? This the Tuesday? Break. Yeah, because Eddie, how did you get your break, baby? I get it. Eddie Brill, thanks for having me on The Break. My pleasure, David. Tell 